0: Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 24. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we have come into this time of worship, we now approach the hour where we open your word and we seek your spirit to speak to us and to apply it to our lives. And so, Father, on behalf of each person in this room, I would ask that what we do not know that you would teach us that what we have not you would give us and what we are not you would make us for Christ's sake it's in his name that I ask this Amen One of the things that I have developed a habit of doing in my Role as college prof and interim pastor is to pay attention to a lot of the materials that individual churches produce, especially when they're looking for a new pastor or a new staff member. And reading some of those announcements gives a lot of insight into what the church is looking for and perhaps what the church went through under the former pastor. Well, I have a job description. I have a job posting for you that I want to share and simply get your reaction to. Imagine a job posting that lists the following conditions. This job will require endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, sleepless nights, hunger, and the ability to face dishonor and slander. Job may involve you being considered an imposter by outsiders and possibly by your coworkers. The job will require the ability to remain pure, patient, kind, loving, truthful in your speaking, and an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit and the power of God will be considered definite pluses. Now, someone who used to fill that job reported that he worked more than anybody else, that he was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, and faced dangers from rivers, robbers, his own people, and strangers, and it didn't matter whether he was in the city or out in the country or even at sea, that he faced hunger, thirst, cold exposure and great anxiety for those he was trying to serve. Now, hearing those details and asked if you would be interested in filling that position, I wonder what your reaction or mine might be. I suspect a lot of us would decline instantly. Some of us would be grateful that we'd be able to say, well, I'm sorry, I already have a job. And still others of us would say, no, not interested, I'm retired. Or you might ask, what in the world kind of work would require facing those kinds of conditions or that kind of treatment? And the answer to that question is actually found in the verses from Colossians 1 that I read you just a moment ago. So let me flesh out for you a bit what Paul tells you and I today about the nature of the task you and I have been given. And I would begin by telling you that this is not a job, this is not a task that any of us would choose on our own. Paul says he's been given a stewardship from God, literally a commission, an assignment. And before any of us could say, well, wait a minute, what gives God the right tell me to do something like that and the short answer is because we belong to him he purchased us Paul told the, the Corinthians you're not your own you have been bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and as people who at some point in our life professed Jesus Christ to be Savior and Lord, this is what being Lord involves. He has the right to direct our lives. But the task involves more than simply being given a mission from God. The task also involves priorities that are radically different from those of the world. You don't have to look very far. You can look at your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and if we're honest, you could look at your own family members or even within your own heart to know that the priorities of the world center around me, myself, and mine. We live in a culture where the highest good, the ultimate goal is for me to discover myself and to express my individuality to the nth degree. And anyone who stands in my way is simply a hater or a bigot or someone that just flat out doesn't understand. Does any of that sound familiar? So that in the eyes of the world... The highest priority is myself and then perhaps others. And oftentimes, depending on, or rather, based on all of the people who say that they're now done with religious stuff, God comes in third. But you and I if we understand who we are in Christ if we understand the assignment that we've been given need to understand that we cannot carry out the task using the priorities of the world but rather you and I need to pay attention to what Paul says in these verses I read notice how again and again Paul says that what he is doing he is doing for your sake or we could expand it for their sake that you and I have moved into the kingdom of God in such a way that we now have priorities where Jesus comes first and others come second and you and I come third It's not unlike some of the things I tried to tell you when I was with you several years ago, where in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, the highest priority is not what I might want or this pastor and staff or the deacons might want or any other individual in the church, but rather the highest priority is what is it that God wants? And in a a sense, that's really the only question that matters, if our priorities are arranged as they should be. But once we get the priorities reorganized, Paul goes on to tell us what the task really focuses on. You'll find it there in that 28th verse where he says, him we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature can be understood as complete, as perfect. So that the mission of the church, the mission you and I have as individual believers and as a congregation, is working to present Every person, not just church members, every person complete, every person mature in Christ. Because it turns out that the plan of God, what Paul calls here a mystery, that that plan which was set up before the world was ever created was that you and I and every other believer, every other person, would be conformed, would be shaped and reshaped into the image of Jesus. The end game, the goal for all that we go through, for all that we learn, for all that we experience, is ultimately so that you and I will look and think and act and relate like Jesus does. And notice that this assignment doesn't <clears throat> involve simply working so that I'm mature in Christ or my family is mature in Christ or the members of my small group or Sunday school class are mature, or even the entire congregation. Notice how again and again in those closing verses, Paul makes reference to everyone. Not just yourself, or family, or congregation, but friends and co-workers and fellow students, And also the people that you and I, frankly, don't really like. Those that, honestly, we really don't care that much about. Some of whom are the kind of characters that if we see them coming, we cross to the other side of the street to avoid. And that's just in divine. Think about the people that you and I either will encounter or hear about or know within the state, the nation, the world, people who don't look like us, sound like us, people whose politics or gender, or anything else that we use to distinguish between us and them, they too are part of the assignment. Making every person mature in Christ. Now how do we do that? Well, Paul's going to point out a couple of steps in carrying out that mission. And the first of these also has to do with the hope that we have in Jesus. Notice what he says there in verse 27. God's chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here's the plan. It's being peeled back and revealed for us. Christ is. In you, the hope of glory. You and I, as we accept our commission from the Lord, begin by focusing on the reality that Christ lives in me that when I professed faith in Jesus Christ, he, in the form of the Holy Spirit, came and took up residence within me and began the work of transforming me into the image and likeness of Jesus. Now, that's familiar stuff if you've spent much time in a Baptist church. But let me tell you that that word that is translated in most of our translations, in, which we would assume refers to our hearts, also means with, among. And notice that he's writing to a church that's comprised of people from a Jewish background, people from multiple Gentile backgrounds, people that are as different, as diverse as can be. And he says, not only Christ in you is the hope of glory, but Christ among you is the hope of glory. That is the way we relate to one another, the way we treat one another, our lack of disunity, unity, the strengths, the weaknesses, all of the stuff that goes into you and I being the people of God ends up hinging on Christ in us, Christ among us. That that's actually going to be for people who don't yet know Jesus people who have terrible images of what the church is because of things that have happened in their lives or in the lives of people they know and love, that Christ in us, Christ in me, Christ among us is actually a demonstration of the truth of the gospel. And if unbelievers take a look at my life if they take a look at how this congregation lives together and they do not see evidence of Christ being in us, Christ being among us, then what makes us think they'll have any interest at all in hearing what the gospel of Jesus actually is? Let alone come to a place in their lives where they're going to be made mature in Christ, And so one of the very first things you and I have to settle if we're going to be serious about taking on and completing the mission that Christ has given us is to look within and to look at one another and to deal with this key issue. Is Christ in us? Is Christ our hope? But there's more to it than that because Paul says that here what we're doing is seeking to make the word of God fully known that is you and I if we're going to be mature in Christ if we're going to make other people mature in Christ then you and I have a responsibility to know and to apply, and to obey the word. We have to be like that picture that Jesus gives us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on rock, as opposed to the one who simply hears and does nothing. And notice that as Paul goes on to talk about making the word of God fully known. How that's going to involve warning people sometimes. It's going to involve teaching sometimes. It's going to amount to urging and persuading people to come to know and trust Christ. But how can we do that if we are not devoted to knowing and obeying and applying the word ourselves? And there's one little note of clarification that I need to give you here because I imagine that when you heard me read Paul saying we make the word of God fully known, we were probably thinking about this. And yes, this is part of it. But I would have you understand that the word of God also refers to Christ as the living word. That it's our task to make Jesus fully known. Have you considered how many people in our world have a distorted picture of Jesus? And how you and I can have a role in helping them see Jesus as he really is. Christ in us, Christ among us, by our words and our lives, our actions, our relationships, showing for anyone and everyone, here is the good news, here is what Jesus is really like. Now in fairness, that's not going to just happen. And I will tell you also, it's not going to be simple. And it's not going to be easy. Paul goes on to tell those Colossian Christians that this task of making every person mature in Christ, this task of making the word of God fully known is something that requires toil. Not just effort, toil It involves struggling with all the strength God provides. That word struggle is the root for our English word agonize. So this is not something that you just hit a couple of licks and say, okay, it's done. But rather it's going to call for everything we are, everything we have and even that's going to be insufficient because Paul says he struggles with all of the energy of God that is within him. Which leads me to look at myself and wonder how much how much of what I have sought to do for the kingdom of God I've tried to do in my own wisdom and strength rather than in the power of God. It's there in the power of God as he moves in us and among us that we start to see lives transformed. It is there where we start to see baby Christians growing up into mature servants and disciples of Jesus Christ. It is there that you and I Come to have a hunger, a passion, a desire for the word of God and for the person of Jesus so that we cooperate with him and we walk with him and we obey him and we want to know more and more about him. I normally don't want to use myself as an example but I think it'll fit here. Many of you will know that I'm also a religion instructor at Wayland Baptist University. And assuming I live until fall, I will have been doing it for 30 years. Now you'd think I'd know a lot about the Bible and a lot about the Christian faith by then. I want to tell you there is still more to learn, more to master, more to allow the Spirit of God to apply within my life. And I suspect the same is true of every one of us. So if the mission is going to be accomplished, if we're going to be a congregation that is known as a people where Christ is in them and Christ is among them, if we're going to be making the word of God fully known, if we're going to present every person we have responsibility for mature in Christ, it's going to cost time and energy and effort and struggle but I want to tell you something because Paul not only was seeking to teach everyone and warn everyone but he says at the beginning of our text he's willing to suffer for their sake think about that for a second how being willing to suffer for the stranger being willing to suffer for the one who is different being willing to suffer for the sake of the one who up to today has been hostile to the things of God or has been indifferent to the things of God, would we be able to recognize that suffering for the sake of someone else is undeniable evidence of the love of God and the love for Christ that is in our lives, that it's undeniable evidence of you and I loving the very people Christ died for. The very people that Christ wants in his family. Or to put it another way, other people, the people who are not us, the people who are nothing like us right now, are the very people that Christ died for. As I said that, something not in my notes came to mind, but that happens up here, doesn't it? Some of you may have seen the film that came out a few weeks ago called Jesus Revolution. And it's about the start of the moving of the spirit to win thousands of young people, thousands of people who were described back then as hippies. I recognize some of the young people in this room. Hippie? Does that mean they were just white or or what? (laughs) Think about long hair, think about incredible rock music, think about drugs and free love and sex and the kind of people your mama and daddy would warn you to stay away from. Now in the film, and excuse me if I take a step off into a rabbit trail, but early in the film, a hippie by the name of Lonnie Frisbee has a conversation with the pastor of a struggling church named Chuck Smith and in the course of that conversation Lonnie says the reality is that the doors of your church are closed to my people and by God's grace and power, that, was no, that became no longer the case. I will tell you, when I saw that in the theater, I broke down. Because I could not help but think about all of the people out in the world to whom our doors are still closed. And yet, they're the ones Christ died for. They are the ones that Christ loves just as much as he loves us. They are the very ones that you and I have the mission of making God's word fully known to and presenting every one of them mature in Christ Jesus. But how are we gonna do that unless the hope of glory that we have in Christ has made a difference in us? This is one of those sermons that I preached in the right amount of time at 8.30 and now I'm I'm only about 60% through what I wanted to say with y'all. Give me a couple of minutes. This is going to be a speed rush through the rest of the sermon. Because the world is hopeless in more than one sense of that word. But you and I have been given the gift of hope in Christ. It is hope because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. This is... This is, new, this is information y'all have been reading over, I hope, and hopefully remembering from sermons in recent weeks. But think about what Paul says earlier in chapter 1 about who Christ is. The Son who is loved by God so that you and I in Christ have a connection to him the one who is the image of the invisible God so that in Christ we know, not guess, not hope so, we know what the truth about God is. We know what reality is. The one for whom everything was created so that in Christ you and I discover our reason for being the one who holds everything together i talked about a moment ago about the need for unity among god's people the only thing that is going to hold the church or society together will be the fact that in him all things hold together so that if the church is falling apart guess what we're not Looking, we're not relying on the one who has been given the power and the right to hold us all together. The head of the church, as I said earlier, he's the one who owns this place. The firstborn from the dead, so that anything in the world that might threaten our hope that we might be tempted to give in to fear about all of that's been dealt with all of that's been eliminated matter of fact I want you to think about the things in your life or the things in the world that are keeping you right now from being on mission like Paul is on mission to make God's word fully known, to make Jesus fully known and to present everyone mature in Christ. Think about that. Whatever that fear, that concern, that anxiety might happen to be and it's okay if you've got more than one. It's, It's okay if you've got a laundry basket full of them. Because of who Christ is, Every one of those fears, every one of those concerns, every one of those anxieties is now sitting in the depths of a tomb that Jesus Christ no longer needs. It's gone. It's dead. It's buried. And you and I are alive in him. He is the one Paul says here, who is preeminent. Which basically means Christ outranks everything. Think of any other power, any other authority that you and I have to deal with over the course of our lives and I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ outranks them. Because through his death, his resurrection, through his ascension to the Father, he is above everything. But we have hope not just because of who he is, but because of what he's done. And this is going to go even faster. He's provided redemption, he's provided forgiveness of sin, he's reconciled all things to himself, and he has made peace through the blood of his cross. And I want to tell you this morning this kind of hope is real. This kind of hope is available. This kind of hope enables you and I to accept our calling from God and to engage in that mission without fear of failure or fear of shame. This kind of hope enables us to face whatever the world might throw at us because Jesus is not only our hope, he is Lord of all. So let me close with two questions. Do you have this hope in you? And second, how has it changed the way you live? Is Christ in you the hope of glory? Or is there something else? Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time... May God bless you and keep you.